Chris Harden. Today's guest is the author of the children's book, Stanley and the Candy Cane Wormhole, and the game that goes with it. A values-oriented father, Chris uses the game to teach diversity and inclusion. Having succeeded in landing an on-air Shark Tank deal, Chris will also share insights about entrepreneurship and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Chris, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. David, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's fun to have you back. It's been a while and a lot has happened, but I, I'm i excited with the, the, you know, I think now that we are officially in the final quarter of the year, a lot of people are starting to think about uh, the holidays and Christmas especially. And um, you've got a new uh, game you're crowdfunding for uh, that is for the holidays, for Christmas. So tell us about Stanley and the Candy Cane Wormhole Game. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so um, it's a a three-piece product. The first is a children's book. So I've been working on it for three years. I've had um, 95 families and readers, art directors and editors review it with me. I've run it through three user trials, two Christmases with families. It's hard to develop a book and a game and all of that without people trying it. So it's been, it's why it's taken so long to build. But what the, uh, the book is, it's about this little squirrel here on the front. And he is a meek, he's not confident squirrel. He accidentally triggers a wormhole. And the wormhole sucks out several of, Can- of Santa's gifts all around uh, really space and time. So it's a bit of a STEM kind of angle too. And he has to muster up the courage to go and get all the gifts back. And while he's trying to get all the gifts back, he goes through seven values that he uh, learns and practices like bravery and patience, um, being thankful and giving sort of family values that my wife and I teach our children. Uh, And then as he overcomes those challenges, he gets a gift back and he gets all of them back just in time to miss Santa as Santa takes off. So he and the science elves, the one who actually created the little wormhole device, uh, deliver all the gifts in time for Christmas. And then Santa invites them to start delivering gifts forevermore with him because Santa's getting a little overwhelmed with the billions of kids in the world. So um, what the, what happens next, the family reads the book and then they create something called a candy cane wormhole. And I don't have a model of it today, but I can show you uh, basically what they build is these little um, kits that has candy canes and chocolates and uh, reindeer dust and snow squirrel fur, which is sprinkles and, um, and cotton candy. And so they make it. So the kids are interacting now with the experience. And the idea is that they now have their own wormhole and Stanley can find their house. And they no longer need a chimney because some kids don't have a chimney. They have a wormhole. It's unstable because it's science. And it loses a gift that he tests by sending. He sends them a gift and it gets lost somewhere in the house. And this is where they get more interactive because they go on a treasure hunt using a deck of, of treasure hunt cards, little clue cards. And so the clues uh, have a riddle to a different room. So one might lead to a kitchen, one might lead you to a pillow or a bicycle, something in the house. But there's also a little challenge in the top here. And the challenge reinforces one of the seven values that Stanley overcame in the book. So this one's like staying patient. And this one is stand still and quiet for 20 seconds. And so it goes through these little fun challenges and the kids race around the house trying to find their early gift, which might be... Um, you know, favors for mom and dad. It might be candy. It might be an early Christmas gift. 
whatever the family wants to have. So the goal of the book and the story and the game is to get kids more interactive with Christmas, to teach these family values, and, and parents can choose which values they want to teach. Um, and at the same time, um, make it so that uh, they're not just being taught naughty and nice, they're being taught other values. And uh, having more fun and being more interactive with Christmas as opposed to just waiting for gifts to, to come to them, they get to practice good values and, and be a bit more part of, of Christmas in sort of a modern folklore. It sounds like such a fun game, but one of the things that you have focused on in writing the book and in building the game is uh, focusing on diversity and inclusion. How have you incorporated that into the story and into the game? One of the things that I've learned, this is not my first children's book. I've I've written a few. Uh, You might remember, I know you remember because you interviewed with us, we did Trobo the Storytelling Robot years ago. And you learn a lot about writing children's books. It's a completely different kind of paradigm than, say, novels or movies. And one of the things that you have to be careful of is being really uh, didactic, where you're sort of drilling in things. So if you want to have a value in there like diversity and inclusion, the way I like to do it is you weave it into the story subtly. So I'll give you an idea of one of those, one of those values is, you know, diversity and inclusion has a lot of things. And one of those is, you know, ethnicities and genders. And so part of the key character set is this blue squirrel, which is, you know, he doesn't have any ethnicity, but we also have African-Americans and Caucasians. And I take each of the types of characters that are available, which are the science elves and also uh, the children in the story. When he's actually trying to figure out, so I'm showing it like that, um, you know, what, if he's going to go get this thing and make his leap into the journey, he's, he's got a variety of children of ethnicities, but there's also children with hearing aids and glasses and, and body type differences. And then finally, uh, one of my favorite changes I made, and unfortunately this copy of the book doesn't have it, uh, but I have right at the tail end where he's jumping into the wormhole as they start to deliver gifts. My little green squirrel here is actually in a wheelchair. And he has one of those really fast racing wheelchairs, like the guys that have the, and the girls that have the super arms and then just super fast. So trying to hit medical diversity, trying to hit um, ethnic diversity. And one of the things that honestly drives me the most is around um, equity. So I grew up kind of poor, honestly, um, very poor. And so most of my driving you know, goals in life, number one, to be a great father and husband, is to really teach my children financial savvy, entrepreneurship, so that they can stand on my shoulders and get to the next level in life. And um, one of the things about Stanley is that he doesn't come through a chimney. And you might say, okay, he doesn't come through a chimney because he's coming through a wormhole. Okay, what's the deal? Um, I didn't grow up with a chimney in my house. Uh, I, ha- I lived in trailers and, 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 you know, government housing when I was a kid and foster homes and all this kind of stuff. And so um, we didn't know where Santa was coming in the house. And my mom was like, well, he's coming in through the window. <laughs> I don't know what to do there. Um, so I like this aspect because it deals with a little subtlety with equity. When kids read it, they don't have to think about the fact that they don't have a chimney if they live in an apartment. You know, they don't uh, have to think about Santa being a certain skin tone. He can be whatever color they want. Santa is actually appears, but only with his back to us in the book. He's never facing us. And he's so far away, you can't see his skin colors. So there's all these little ways to help children see whatever they want to see 
and identify with what they want to identify with in the book and not ever, hopefully ever take them out of the story thinking in terms of, I don't, am I in this book? Am I part of this story? The goal is to, to make it clear that they are a part of the story. Yeah, that, that, that's wonderful. You, you mentioned the circumstances of growing up, um, but help us understand why, and maybe that there's a connection there that I, I'm not understanding to your concern, your value, the importance of diversity. I'm thrilled that diversity and inclusion is, is important to you. Help us understand the connection between your experience growing up and your concern for uh, Native Americans feeling included or for the LGBT community feeling included or you know, all these aspects. of how do you, What's the connection? I believe it goes back to the fact that I was I was born and raised in deep in the deep south of the U.S. So I was born in Georgia, but I spent most of my childhood up until uh, college, actually even college in Alabama. We moved around a lot, but it was always in the south. And there's a lot of racial tension, Devin, as as you know, um, in, in different parts of the country, but it is still quite prevalent when I go home. Um, inappropriate words are used and just the tension between races is strong. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Caucasian American and um, I lived with lots of African Americans in my neighborhood, had lots of wonderful lifelong friendships, uh, but that racial tension was always there. And even in my family, there was some racism, you know, people that are very older and, and it's just sort of built into the, to the culture, which is unfortunate because you can't necessarily see past it unless you move away. Um, I was so fortunate, you know, God was able to put me into a, um, a math and science school for 11th and 12th grade down in Mobile. And that was the first time I got to see more diverse, diverse culture and exposure. And then I went to Auburn, which was, you know, very diverse because universities usually are quite diverse. Um, and then I moved to different states. And I live in Florida now. And Florida is tremendously diverse. And also through my career, I've, I've seen um, um, people transition in gender. I've had tons of variety of, of backgrounds and um, multicultural uh, folks in my career. I, be- I became aware of it at some point where I was like, wow, I've gotten the chance to meet all these cultures, all this diversity. And it matters to when you're creating solutions, when you're problem solving, so much so that in my companies, and I work for a company called Unity right now, they're global. Diversity is absolutely a part of, of the culture down to the point where we're taught as managers to write job descriptions. We are making sure we don't accidentally alienate someone. But there's a real value in having all these different people come in to problem solve because it gets you out of your head, but it also gets you out of all the assumptions you've had in your head for your lifetime. So that diversity makes better problem solving and it enables people to get, I think, the most out of their life as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Fantastic. Now you come at this as kind of an experienced entrepreneur. You and I connected over your one of your earlier ventures, Trobo, uh, which landed you on Shark Tank. And uh, recently you had an opportunity to attend a reunion. Tell us a little bit about what you learned from the Shark Tank experience. So that was really fun. It so happens it was just last week. So um, while the hurricane was coming in through Florida, in Las Vegas, uh, the I think the second ever Shark Tank reunion convention went on. So 
I went there expecting to see 50 people, and there were somewhere between 150 and 200 that showed up. I had no idea how big it was going to be. We had some of the most successful shark tankers ever there and do keynote speeches and that kind of stuff. And everyone was super nice and super friendly because, you know, we all have gone through a very similar experience on Shark Tank. I tell you that one of the key takeaways I got, I realized even I, even as I work in a multi-billion dollar company, even as I have been a VP of engineering for a multi-million dollar company, even as I have worked for GM and Ford and Coca-Cola and Amazon and the government of the U.S. Um, military, I still realize I don't think big enough. I was talking to some of these entrepreneurs and the businesses that they had and how they're well into the millions, not just in dollars, but also in, um, in reach, you know, multiple, multiple countries uh, and the number of units that they ship and just they think at a different level. And I'm, being, I'm a lifelong learner just like you. And I know with good Lord, I don't know how many books I've listened to over the years, I can still recognize I've got growing. I've got, I can get bigger. I can be bigger than where I am now. And that was a surprise for me because I like to think I'm pretty savvy, but I know that there's a people that are much more savvy than I am. And I got a reminder of that this weekend. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, as you think about all you've accomplished, and as I think about all you've accomplished, I really admire you. And, uh, I see that you've done a lot of great stuff. And I wonder, as you think about what you've accomplished, what do you see as your superpower? I thought a lot about this because, you know, I'm a big fan of your show and, and your book. And um, I'm going to, I want to answer it first by talking about context. So, Superpower is kind of an opinion, right? Something is good or bad is an opinion and a strength or a weakness. In one context, you know, something you have can be a real strength. And in another, it can be a real weakness. So um, I have one that's innately built into me and I want to answer that one. But I'll tell you about another one, too, if you don't mind. Um, so so my, my superpower lifelong has been I'm extremely diverse. So I grew up as an artist, an illustrator. I got inspired by Stan Lee. I got my first comic book when I was six, Spider-Man. And so it just set me on this journey of creativity, drawing and illustration. I also happen to be good at math and science. And so I went into engineering. And um, so I've grown up as someone who has really great artistic skills, graphic design. I ink professionally. I also write and I've done film. And I'm an engineering manager and director and VP, so I'm really technical. What this enables me to do is talk with almost, not perfectly, but almost any walk of life. I can have something to discuss with people. I play music. I've produced amateur albums. And so I can speak with folks that have interest in sports. And so all this diversity enables me to have meaningful, relatable conversations with people, hopefully no matter who they are. Although I like to ask questions more than talk um, and learn, I get absorbed in whatever their creativity is. So that's kind of my superpower in the fact that I can be diverse and I can go into different areas. As I mentioned, I work for you know Unity, which is a worldwide game company. At the same time, I'm doing artistic-based storytelling startups. You know, so it's kind of all over the map. And so my challenge is I have to stay focused. The weakness is 
uh, if, if I take the context and switch it, the weakness is I, I know just knowing myself, I will never be like the world's expert at anything. I just I'll never get there because I spend my time learning too many other things. Um, but I'll tell you a sort of an offshoot from that over my career. And, you know, one of my key lifelong learning items is around communications and the nuance of communications. So a lot of folks, just like they think they can sing, they think they can act, they think they can cook. And, you know, we all kind of have these little basic abilities in being human. Um, I tend to focus in on the nuances of communication. So body language is a big one. I study lots of body language, affect on your face and how you're responding, right? Intonation. And as a leader, I will use that consciously and I teach my managers to watch a room during a presentation. And, and while something's been said that's meaningful, do you see something, a little cluster of body language items over here? Do you see some affect? Does someone breathe funny? A lot of body language books will talk about, um, you know, detecting and clusters and, and maybe detecting if they're lying or something. I think that's a complete waste of, of the use of body language. But to say, mental note, that person looked concerned over what was just said. What have I done? We need to go talk and see if I can help them in some way. And that subtlety of nuance and communications, studying it, looking at emails and making sure that people aren't destroying an email in some way. Anything that you're doing when you're talking with people, if you can get into the subtleties of communication, you generally hit one of the biggest problems of teams that are malfunctional. So um, I study it all the time because I tend to think that I'm head and shoulders above most of the people I know because I study it so much. So I consider that to be a superpower as well. Yeah. Oh, I, I see where you're coming from. That, that uh, As you think about that, especially your first uh, diversity uh, superpower, I think that is uh, a fascinating uh, strength, fascinating superpower, because I haven't ever met anyone who described that as their superpower. Having done this for a while now, I, I come across uh, a lot of repetition and, and I value that, right? Uh, because everyone has a little different angle, a little different take on how you develop it, how you strengthen it, how you use it. But, uh, but diversity of abilities is a, uh, a first and I'm grateful to hear from you. And I see that that is true, right? You do so many different things well, and that is interesting. Um, Let's talk a little bit about it. First, tell me how you share an example, if you can, of a time when that diversity of capability uh, was something you used to accomplish something. Uh, and, and maybe uh, Stanley and the Candy King wormhole game is an example of that. I don't know. Looks like it might be. It, it may be. It's a little focused, but I can tell you that that diversity has made me stand out in my engineering career my entire life. So I went into electrical engineering, but effectively most of my career has been in consulting engineering as a software developer. And um, I worked, I helped to build and create the Coca-Cola Freestyle machine, which is a, a drink machine with a touch screen and you can get all those flavors. So um, yeah, it's a wonderful product. I'm, I'm really proud of it. I spent a lot of time in Atlanta with, with the team that was building it. So I was on the consulting team out of Seattle that did the software for it, all the UI and all that bit. And because I can draw and I have an MBA, so I learned tools like Visio and flows and all of this bit, I can take a classic 
high tech engineering conversation and translate it into things that savvy business people can comprehend. I can also go from nothing, just what do you want? Let's get on the board, write it down, draw flows. And, and this gets into the communications part, Devin. I can make myself and my teammates in the room check our assumptions. What am I assuming when that feature says, I don't know, butter knife? I have no idea what a good feature would be. What is everyone else thinking? Let's get in. Let's draw it. Do some flows. My ability to draw has enabled me to not just be an engineer who can code and develop, but can actually work with a bunch of soft skill types and get alignment. That's the power of communications. Today, I was working with a technical project manager, and we were looking at a contract detail, and he, he had a word in there from the customer about it. So I, I dislike pronouns. I dislike metaphors because they are great ways to have everyone make their own assumptions. So I break all that stuff out, and one of those ways is, what do you mean by this feature? Let's draw it. And that, that helps a lot in consulting when you can really get into the nuance of what people are saying, and I can do that by drawing things out. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I see how that would really be powerful. Now, here's the hard question. I know that you feel like a lot of this strength, a lot of this ability is innate. At the same time, you've got to recognize you've spent a lot of time learning all these skills, right? You spend a lot of time deliberately learning how to draw, deliberately learning how to code, deliberately learning how to communicate deliberately thinking and learning about picking up on body language so that when you're making a presentation, you understand it. All of these things you've learned, how would you coach other people to develop this diversity? Maybe it's not even the same set of skills you've got, but that, that a comparable diversity of skills. How would you coach someone to do that? The way I normally do that is I, I have the stereotypical group of engineers. And they're not always you know, uh, introverts, stereotype, you know. Uh, but I tend to think of skill sets in the Venn diagram of three circles. One is the technical skills, whatever it is, engineers or not, whatever your technical skills are to get the job done, okay? Uh, if you're an artist, it's the art skills. Uh, the next most powerful one is soft skills. Can you, can you write? Can you draw if you need to, like diagrams? Uh, can you somehow... How are you using your soft skills to communicate with people? And that's sort of where the body language and all that kind of stuff comes in. And then the third is professionalism. Because even as someone graduates from university or have years of experience under their belt, every now and then someone doesn't have good professionalism. They don't show up to work in a timely fashion. You know, I've had folks that didn't have good hygiene, things like that, right? Or, or they're struggling with emotional intelligence. So I see those three. And then if you're a leader, I'll put in leadership skills as a fourth. All of those make a company of one. Are you familiar with that that term from the uh, 80s, a company of one? It's a standard business book. And uh, the idea is that we all should see ourselves as someone who offers services to our company. And all of these things matter. You can't really bring any of that to the, only a little bit of that to the table. You have to have all of it. So I'm looking at my teammates and I'm trying to help them be the best they can be and the best teammate they can be. I'm looking for gaps and expectations for um, hard skills, soft skills, and, and professionalism. I don't normally teach people how to draw unless they're interested in that. Um, uh, but if they are, I'll go back gangbusters because I love talking about that stuff. But I will teach them how to do good presentations, how to write better, how to write their emails better, 
how to mainly watch their body language. I've done a lot of coaching on body language, which the way I teach that is there's books out there. Honestly, no book has quite met my needs, but I'm willing to give a few pointers on read these, take some caveats and put the caveats aside. But if you can get body language down and understand how people are reacting, that's a powerful step towards building a relationship with people. That's probably the one I teach the most is writing and body language. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and I appreciate you sharing such powerful insights with us. Before you go, let's take a minute and, and let me invite you to tell people how they can learn more about Stanley and the Candy Cane Wormhole Game, uh, how they can order a copy on Kickstarter and uh, you know how they can connect with you. I know you're active on social media, so get, share some of that stuff as well. Yeah, thank you, Devin. I appreciate it. Yes, if, if, uh, if customers are interested, they can go to ccwormhole.com. I also have candycanewormhole.com. It'll take you to Kickstarter, and that is running through the 13th of October. And you can, you can pick up just a book or you can get the entire kit, whatever, whatever you want to do there. You can connect with me on linkedin.com slash n, I-N, slash Chris Harden, C-H-R-I-S-H-A-R-D-E-N. I'm out there. You can find me at chrisharden.com if you want, and all of my social stuff is there too. Fantastic. Well, Chris, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today, and we wish you every success in helping to you know teach kids great new values with your uh, Stanley and the Candy Cane wormhole, wormhole game this year. Thank you, Devin. It's good to be here. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.